I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. So why is your tax refund coming back so late? The new report says a big reason is because the IRS, in addition to being the tax man, is now one of the biggest social services provider in the country. Why is that? And how does that slow everything down? Will McBride is the vice president for federal tax and economic policy at the Tax Foundation in Washington, D.C. joins us on the line now. Will, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? <laughs> good. Uh, this is confusing for uh, for a lot of Americans. One, we always want to know if we're getting audited and it's not in our favor, taking a long time is fine. Uh, when we want our, our, our refund, we want it really fast. Uh, and now we're looking at all of these things in terms of social services uh, going on. Uh, give us an update. Where are we really with the IRS? Uh, well, the IRS is melting down, um, <laughs> as, and we're watching it happen. And uh, they, they're getting – I think the big challenge is uh, the paper – uh, returns. Um, so they have on the order of 24 million tax returns that are awaiting action and backlog from last year's uh, tax filing season. And a lot of those are, are paper returns. They, they're, you know, like, just like us, it takes us longer uh, to, to fill out a paper return rather than to just file it electronically. And, um, and, and then and that problem was Created though ultimately because, in large part, because uh, the IRS uh, just got a whole new load of responsibilities last year, with uh, particularly the um, relief package passed uh, one year ago, that contained a lot of novel uh, new tax policies, um, and particular in particular uh, benefits that were administered through the tax code, such as the new child tax credit that was turn into a monthly uh, a benefit uh, based on income that the IRS had, had never um, had to deal with before uh, last year. And, and as well, there are a number of other programs, earned income tax credit that were changed last year, made more um, uh, generous, and uh, as well as other child uh, programs run through the IRS. Then, then there was um, the economic impact payments that we, that, you know, uh, more than 100 million people received that those were all administered through the IRS, um, and so the IRS just became a sort of an emergency um, <laughs> spending agency in addition to being a uh, tax collector, and they just they just melted down on the job. Uh, that's what we're seeing this year. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So so as you as you dig into that just a little bit. Um... You know, I think most people don't really think that whole thing through. Uh, obviously, those checks started to come to uh, a lot of folks uh, during the course of the pandemic. Uh, and when the IRS has to go from being a tax collector to suddenly deciding who gets payments and sending things out, uh, that, that has to be a, a little bit of a different uh, model uh, in terms of staffing. Uh, and then the fact that uh, nobody wants to give more money. I don't think any politician wants to say, yep, we are increasing <laughs> the the budget for the IRS that's a that's a tough one to put on a bumper sticker in your reelection campaign. 
Yeah, right. That's right. So the so the IRS doesn't get the resources. They've actually um, their budget has been essentially flat from the last ten years or so. Um, and you know, then at the same time, all the responsibilities keep expanding um, and growing. And there's really no concern uh, from Congress in how the IRS deals with this load. Um, it's simply, you know, uh, sort of it just just handed to the IRS to deal with it. And um, we've reached the point where the IRS simply can't can't deal with it. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. So as you look at that, the uh, is that the best way? Is that the right role for the IRS or is there a, a better way, like just having people keep more of their own money to begin with in terms of tax credits at the end? Uh, how should the IRS be operating? Well, the IRS was originally, uh, you know, it's the Internal Revenue Agency. They're a tax collector agency. That's what they're designed to do. And that with the complicated system of tax we have in, in the U.S. at the federal level, um, it's, you know, it's mainly income tax uh, that is very complicated in itself, just defining income. And we try to tax uh, income at different rates and different uh, both domestic income and the foreign income of U.S. citizens and and businesses, we already have a very complicated tax system. Uh, so the IRS has its hands full right there. We should be simplifying that tax system a great deal, and we can. There's no reason for it to be as complicated as this. Essentially, like you know, a hundred years of additions um, uh, to the tax code that are accumulating here. But then this whole era of spending through the tax code needs to be rethought. Um, this really started in about 1997 with the advent of the child tax credit run through the tax code. Um, and it really just became a sort of bipartisan spending spree ever since. It's been a sort of competitive race to see who can be the most generous in terms of this child. And it now costs about um, – you know, last year it was costing about two hundred billion uh, a year. So this is a very expensive program. It's very complicated determining, you know, the age of the child, how many qualify under different conditions. You know, households that have you know, children in different different uh, um, you know um, households. Um, this is very complex, and IRA should have nothing to do with it. Um, it should be moved into a proper spending agency with. Uh, proper um, oversight by Congress and run through the appropriations process annually. Yeah. Uh, I, so that, that whole thing is broken down completely. Yeah, I think that's such an important part of it because that's the only way you ever get uh, any opportunity to look at outcomes in terms of what is actually happening uh, and any kind of accountability. And so not doing that through uh, an agency or a program of some sort, uh, I think is just a Part of the, as you said, it uh, both left and right spending spree, uh, both seem uh, more than happy to continue down that path. Uh, just in our, our final uh, minute with you here, Will, uh, the president today rolled out uh, his uh, budget proposal framework uh, for 2023. Of course, including some tax increases. Uh, any uh, initial thought in terms of what uh, the president's laying out and how that might play in Congress? Well, it's very much the same theme. Um, nothing has been learned here from the melting down of the IRS under this load. This budget proposes a whole series of completely novel tax increases, such as this uh, new 20% tax on wealthy individuals, 
Uh, it's a tax on their uh, unrealized capital gains. So this, for instance, targets you know Elon Musk and his uh, stock holdings that um, you know under current law are not taxed until he sells them. Uh, this is an attempt to value those stock holdings and then apply 20% tax. So, well, it's never been tried before. There's no one problem with that. Never been tried here. Never been tried anywhere on earth, as far as we can tell. Uh, and yet the law just says, let the IRS deal with it. Um, this is this is really irresponsible uh, and just one example among dozens in this budget. All right. Uh, great insight there. Will McBride, Vice President for Federal Tax and Economic Policy at the Tax Foundation in Washington, D.C. Will, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Coming up, it is the 46th anniversary of a song that most of us can sing, but Congress cannot find a way to follow. Find out what it is and what it means coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.